It's always a privilege uh, to come and to open up God's word together. Because I believe that God wants to give us, wants to speak to us, directly to us. And I yes. was grieved when I heard that Pastor Brooks was sick. I got the call. And um, first thing I did was stop and pray for him and his wife and uh, love them dearly. And then the next thing I did, because they said, well, you know, we'd like you to be on. So the next thing I did was pray for God's word. God, what do you want to speak to us? What is your word for your people today? Because as much as I love Pastor Brooks and Nina, I love God's word. And I believe that he speaks. That's why we call it his word, right? Because he speaks to us now, today, in this moment. And as I was praying, God just put this, this story in my, in my mind and in my heart. And my God, with, with things going on, we're, we're surrounded with, with troubles. There's, there's uncertainty. Uh, turn on the TV and there's, you're just not sure. You know, this channel's saying one thing, this channel's saying the opposite. You know, we're just saying there's so many things that are out there. There's lies, there's times of uncertainty. What is God saying? What do we need to hear from God today? And the story that he put in my heart was about a guy named Abram. And, you know, many of us have heard of Abraham. That's a pretty familiar name out there, isn't it? I mean, father of our faith. And we, we hear about him. And yet, when we really go back and look at his life, there's this event that happens at the, the beginning of his life that we want to look at this morning. But before we get there, I want to just kind of think about who he was. Where do we find his story in the timeline of history? Because really up to this point, we, we've heard about a few people. If you open up your Bibles, it kind of starts off and we get through creation. And then we get to that guy, Adam. He's kind of important, Adam and Eve. And then we move from him and you hear about Abel. And then, you know, there's a lot that happens there. Then you hear about Enoch. He walked with God. And then we finally get up to Noah. And, th- and there's a really deep connection between Noah and God. And God is, is speaking to Noah. Noah is righteous before God and worshiping him. And God inst- gives him these instructions for, for the salvation, for the, his plan of redemption for mankind, that through the seed of Adam, he still has a plan to crush the head of the serpent. Yes. And then as you flip those pages, you'll find out that there seems to be something missing. I mean, here we were that God was interacting in human history where he was doing this. And then for pages, we just see where it seems like things are just going about normal, just life. So-and-so has a son, and then that person has a son, and they became the father of this person. And there are ten generations from Noah in which we do not see that God is interacting in the pages of Scripture. Ten generations where people are walking, where things are happening, where we see that sin is beginning to become more prevalent, when wickedness is spreading, and yet we don't see where God is speaking directly to man. Does that mean that he wasn't there? Does that mean that, that his word had not already been spoken? That his, his promises were not already given? We see his promises with Adam, his covenant with Noah. It's there. They had his word. And yet we don't see that, that relationship, that, that really getting to know a connection with God. There was no one who's saying they were calling in on God. And so no wonder why there was no one who was hearing from God. And then suddenly into the, the pages of Scripture... Into this holy record, we, have, we see where in Genesis chapter 12, all of a sudden something's different because God has called and spoke to this man named Abram. 
And so we just want to look there a little bit this morning. Genesis chapter 12, and it says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. We often call this the, the call of Abram, kind of God speaking out into this silence of mankind. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Wow. Who wouldn't like to get a call from God and hear that? Yeah. And that's pretty exciting, right? Like, all of a sudden, hey. But at the same time, I mean, this is exciting. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless those who bless you. This is a great promise. And yet, at the forefront, before the blessing comes, God is calling Abraham to come out. He's calling him out of, of his family, of his, of his home, of his country, of, of his comfortable culture. The places that seem familiar. Uh, I mean, yeah, we're, we've responded to a call, so that's something that, that we've kind of struggled through and worked through. But yet, for most of us, is, is that a reality of our lives? Would we want to get the call today? I don't know, your job says, hey, you know what, you're losing your job here, but we've got a job for you if you're willing to move to the West Coast or East Coast. Right? Like, that's kind of what's going on is God saying, hey, I'm calling you to leave which is familiar. The things that you can trust in and I want you to go to the place I'm going to show you. And not even telling you where it's at. Because when you get there, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to show you that place. And if we think about it's one of the things that had happened just before Noah, one of the things that's in the record. I guess I, I did kind of skip over that. We got the Tower of Babel. And we see where God takes the people who had been united and he scatters them. And he gives them a different language. And so now here we see that he's telling Abraham to go. I'm going to scatter you from your people and you're going to go among people of a different language. You may not understand their culture but he says, in that place, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make you into a great nation. So there's this blessing about a great nation. I mean, who is this guy? He's, he's kind of a, he's a little bit of an older gentleman. Doesn't he have any children? And yet God's saying, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And I'm going to give you a great name. But then there's this really amazing part. I mean, as if becoming a great nation and having a great name isn't enough. I mean... I think there's some people that would, on TV, they like to, that's what they were looking for. You know, they're looking to get their name bigger. But God then goes in and says, I will bless you. So he says, I'm not only going to make your name great and give you, make a great nation, but you're going to be a blessing. All peoples will be blessed through you. I'm going to impart to you a godly nature that through you will come blessing. So no longer just a man living on earth, but that through your presence, other people will be blessed. This is something that we can't do. Only God can do it. And so he's saying that he's putting this into Abram. He's extending his nature. I'm going to do to you and through you. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. But the reality is all nations on earth will be blessed through you. Wow. We finally get where God picks up 
that gospel story after Noah, where, where some were saved through the ark, and now he's saying, this is what I'm going to do through you. This is the new ark, that through your name and your nation, all will be saved. What does he do? So we see that, that Abram is called out, that he's blessed by God, and then we see a response. Verse 4, it says, So Abraham, Abram, sorry, Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He's not exactly a young guy. Right. To, start a new, to start all over, right? To start this new life that God's calling him, this, this new adventure, this new walk of faith. And yet he does it. We see that God calls him. He says, you've got to step out. You've got to leave. And so Abram, in obedience, does it. He obeys God. And we see that he didn't just leave, but that he, towards the end of five, you see that they set out for the land of Canaan and arrived there. He was obedient from start to finish to do what God had called him to do, to leave that place. And so we often think of, of Abram as this, that, like we said, that, that great father of our faith. And so we kind of look to him and we, we read stories about him and kind of want to draw from him life lessons on how, how should we do these things. And, and we see that throughout the New Testament where they refer back to Abram and, and the way that he stepped out in faith to do things. And they point to him as a shining example. So we're, we're going to step into verse 10 and look at some decisions that Abram made when he was faced with a difficult time, with some uncertainties. Because before that we see that Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morak and Shechem. And what do we see? He built an altar to the Lord there who had appeared to him. That's in verse 7. And from there, he goes out, and in verse 8 again, he builds an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. He, he's beginning this journey. He's walking with God. He's calling on him. And so you're kind of like, wow, yeah, he's, he's really getting to know God and, and, and living in that new life relationship with God. In verse 10, it says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while, because the famine was severe. So he's confronted with a real legitimate crisis. Uh, natural disaster is happening around him. And, and it's not just that it was kind of bad. It's so bad, so severe, that he's like, I can't even live where I'm at. That's in his response, right? It's so severe, so he even had to leave where he was staying. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know that what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Say, you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. It kind of works out this, this nice plan here. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. When Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maidservants, and camels. All the things that represented wealth. And so here he is in this place of, of crisis, in a natural disaster, and he's, he's known what God has promised to him, and yet he's saying, well, I know that God is there and he's made these blessings, but right now I'm facing this issue. I'm not sure if I'm going to have food to eat. And so he goes down to Egypt. He, he goes to the place where there's a strong government, 
this is, you know, this is before Joseph's the whole story. You know, there's no miracles about God's abundant provision. There's no dreams of Pharaoh. This is just the biggest government around. This is the place that's like, oh, well, I know that they've got some. Now, granted, geographically speaking, and there was a different ecology system. And so if you go back and you look at your you know, history books, you'll realize that Canaan got a different rain patterns than, than what Egypt got. Egypt was getting fed by rivers. And so, okay, the one place was having a drought, and this place still had water. Okay, just kind of logical, right? But he's saying, well, not only is it logical, but I'm going to go hang out in that, that nice place, that city, where there's a nice, strong government. Well, trust in the government when there's times... Where the land is dry and people are getting dehydrated. Well, let's go and put our trust that the, the government will be able to take care of us. We see that kind of a response during this time of a real famine, a real disaster that's taking place. And then he gets to this a moral crisis as well. When he goes there and he's saying, Well, I understand what the people are like there. He's heard about him, and he's saying, well, we're going to this place, but there's also a culture that goes along with Egypt. And in the culture in Egypt, we recognize that there's, there's kind of nepotism. There's people take care of their own. Family members take care of family members. Uh, and so he says, well, I'm not sure if they're going to take care of me if they see how beautiful you are. And so they make up this plan and saying, you know, it, it's okay to lie, and deceive because we want to save my life because I'm the, I'm the one that's been blessed by God. And, and so it seems like he's okay with, with lying and deceiving the people of Egypt to preserve his own life. But not only to preserve his own life, he's trying to be culturally aware, but also that uh, I'll be treated well. You know, instead of dying, that doesn't sound like a very good option, but, you know, if they see how beautiful you are, I'll be taken care of. And did his plan work? Yeah. I mean, he's a pretty smart guy. I mean, we, should, we should give him credit. We'll get him on the Bloomberg Report. I mean, this guy knows how to work the system. He's got it. I mean, he's making the money. He's bringing it in. His wealth is increasing. He's getting treated well. So as far as, you know, man's concerned, it, it was a pretty good plan. But he had to lie and deceive to get there. And so then this creates, as if we don't already have enough issues, we've got a natural disaster going on. We've got a moral dilemma that is being faced by the very one who's blessed by God. And it brings us to now a health crisis. Man, this sounds like the top headlines in the newspaper. We've got a health crisis, but the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and on his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. What? Like one more thing. We need one more thing going on. Now there's a health issue in the entire household of Pharaoh. People are getting sick. Things are happening. They're not even really sure why, but you know, here we see Abram and, you know, he's not sick. We don't read where he's affected or where Sarah is affected. She's not being sick. You know, it's not really touching them, is it? He's okay. He's blessed by God. And I don't mean that sarcastically, but that seems to be his attitude. What, what's the response from the culture, from the government, from the leadership who is seeing what's happening? Verse 18, so Pharaoh summoned Abram, what have you done 
to me. He said, why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? And now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. They were trusting that. You know what, God? You've, you've taken care of us. You're blessing us. And yet, into this situation where the blessed by God is not living out the blessing, where instead of using that godly nature and living it out to be a blessing there, isn't that what God had called them to do? He says, I'm going to bless those who bless you. So there should be a blessing coming back. And instead, we don't see a blessing coming back. Instead, we see sickness. Instead, we see disease. Was it because of Pharaoh? No, it was because of Abram's response. It was because of his trust. Where was his trust? His trust was in his own plans. His worries and concerns were about his economic prosperity and not about trusting God. And so into this issue that already has a a real crisis, disaster, where, where there's a moral dilemma that's being faced by what is true and not true, where there's sickness now prevalent in the government, we now see political strife and conflict come into it. Because he's, he's a leader. He, he's like a nobleman among them, coming from a different country. And so Pharaoh's pretty straight, like, what have you done to me? And think about all those officials. Remember, they had praised Sarai and said, hey, you need to bring her in. What about all them? Because now, well, obviously they hadn't done their homework. Their heads are at risk. So now you've got this strife going on in the very system that Abram went to find blessing. I'm sure that um, we can't draw any parallels for today, but let me continue on where we see that Abram's permissive attitude led to sin. He said, well, this is okay because, you know, it's better that I not die. I need to be concerned about number one, right? Whatever it takes to to take that. And yet at the end of it, when he went to go to this place to to find refuge and safety from the famine, he's essentially kicked out. He's deported. Something that we're hoping doesn't happen to us, but you know, the government's pretty straightforward. You broke the laws. You lied to us. Get out. You don't have a place here. Now, I don't know what that says about illegal immigrants and felonies, but that's not the sermon for today. But I think God is trying to speak to His church. Because the changing point and the difference of what happened in Egypt had nothing to do with Egypt. It had everything to do with Abram. Right. So he's sent on his way. You know, we like to think that as we look at these things, you say, well, man, Abram, I don't know, you, you kind of, you missed it. I mean, and I'm saying, God, this is the, this is the story you want me to look at? I, mean, I kind of was hoping for something a little bit more encouraging. But I think it speaks to where we are and where the church is. And where are we putting our hope and our trust? Because we are facing times just like Abram did. Times that are uncertain. Times where where things aren't there and it's not always obvious the best way forward. Where people are literally having to move because of situations. 
we know that God blessed him to be a blessing. So let's, let's look. Did, I mean, if we want to really look at this guy as, as the father of our faith, did, did something happen? Did he grow in his faith? Was he able to, to learn something from this lesson? And if you just flip over just a couple of chapters, we get to Genesis 14. And there seems to be a shift that took place. We're not going to read the whole chapter. We're just going to focus on a few verses. We see that people came in, Lot had gone out, and that, um, that kings had attacked where Lot was. And he, he got up his friends and his allies, and they went and attacked him. They got Lot back along with the people. And so he really had begun to live out that nature. He began to, to live and say, okay, God, I'm going to bless and be a blessing. I'm going to allow you to work through me to rescue people who are lost and who have been stolen, who are facing death. He begins to, to live that out, and we see that in, in chapter 14, but then he gets to the point where he's, he's blessing God and he's acknowledging who God is. And so if we look in verse 22, we'll see that the, the king said, here, here, let me give you something for your trouble. In verse 22, it says, of chapter 14, it says, But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. I have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or a thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me to Aner, Eshel, and Mamre. Let them have their share. So he's not trying to cut out his his allies, but he's saying for me. Something had changed. He had acknowledged that what he had done and what he had attempted to do before did not work. And it was not a bringing a blessing to the people he was living in. And now the people that he's living among, he's seeking to bring a blessing to by acknowledging full trust in who? A God he had come to know, not only as creator, not only as God most high, but as Lord, his Lord. And so we see this, this man who, who is called out, who's, who's chosen, who's blessed, who is, is trying to walk in obedience and begins to say that he goes from faltering in that faith to someone who's faithful to God. Someone who's timid in their understanding of who God is to triumphant in their walk with God. I mean, I think there's some really easy things we can look at. I've alluded and hinted at a few. But today maybe you're saying, you know, that was good for him. He had this specific call. And God did this in his life. And how does that relate? But this morning I want to tell you that God has called each one of you out. Yes. And if you don't know Jesus yet, then he's calling you out right now. But we have been called out. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises who call, of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. You have been called out to leave what was familiar, to leave a sinful nature. You've been called out. John 15, 19, If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. He's called us out. Come on out. I've got something better for you. I need you to be willing to leave behind sin and wickedness. I need you to be willing to leave behind the things that are familiar and easy and to come out and follow me and to become for God a holy nation. 
a people that are his own. God's special possession. That's what he's calling you to. And really, there's something comparable in Acts chapter 1 that we see that's reminiscent of Genesis 12. And if you'll follow with me, I believe that this is what Jesus is speaking to his church. We, we read about what God called and how he blessed Moses. But in Acts chapter 1, we read that verses 1 and 2. It says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Okay, these are the people that he's called out. The ones he's chosen. He's saying, this is, he's been talking with them, he's been walking with them, he's chosen them out. And then if you look at the end of that, you'll realize that he had them to go out. Verse 8, he says, I'm going to send you out. Be with my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Called out. Sent out. Sound a little bit familiar? I'm going to scatter you out. Where? Among people of different languages. But this time it's different. Because this time he tells them they need to do something. On one occasion, Acts chapter 1 verse 4, we're kind of going back and forth. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father, the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is it it? Are we ready? Are we part of it? Is this, this is the new kingdom. We're ready. Let's set up this new political system. We're ready to do this. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has sent, set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's called them out. But he's saying, there's a blessing that I have for you. I'm going to bless you, but you've got to wait here for it. Don't go running off on your own. Don't try to do it in your own power. But I have this blessing and it comes when you receive the power to have the godly nature. Because it's exactly what he said is going to happen. Whose authority? It's a new kingdom. It says that he spoke to them about his kingdom, the kingdom of God in verse 3. He was speaking, saying, this is the kingdom. This is the new nation. The great nation is the kingdom of God. And you are going to be my witnesses for the great name. And it's my name, the name of Jesus. There is no other name given unto men by which they may be saved. So he's establishing a new great nation, his kingdom. The great name is Jesus himself. And he's saying that I've called you to then have a godly nature. Do we see the connection? We here are those that have been called out. We have commissioned, been commissioned by God. This was for the disciples, but it's also for each one who comes to believe in him. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abram, the man of faith. That's what it says in Galatians 3.9. When we connect those two, when we believe in Christ, when we listen to what he says, we are then like Abraham, the man of faith. Romans 4, verses 6, it says, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. 
There's a blessing that comes from being called out, from being chosen out. And God wants to pour that blessing out upon you. It's a blessing of forgiveness. But he says, I don't want you to just keep it yourselves. I want to bless through you. And so therefore you will be my witnesses where you are. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. I'm going to send you out to be a blessing. But you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Back when he sent Abram to go to people where he didn't understand the language, now he's saying, I'm going to send you out. When you receive that power, something happens. Read Acts 2. Now all of a sudden, the places where he's called them to go, they've come and now they begin to speak in those languages. Now am I saying that we all need to go out and we're just going to trust God and open up our mouths and whatever language is going to come out, it's going to reach it? Well, that can happen. But I think God is changing. He's, he's reversing the curse. He's saying, what I once broke up and I had scattered the peoples of the world and given them different languages, I am now uniting them and bringing them back through Christ into one kingdom under one name so they can have a godly nature. So that the people can be his very own. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, for, grace, for the grace of God has appeared that has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So he's called us. He's blessed us. He's established this kingdom in us. And he's saying, I'm sending you out. How do we respond? If we have been given this, what is our response? Well, I, I hope that we can respond like Abram did, even with the amount of knowledge that he said, even with what he understood about God. He, he responded in obedience and he left that place and he went. May we have a response like that, a response of obedience. And Luke 11.28, Jesus is talking to people and they're saying, well, these people are blessed. But he says, blessed are rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. The blessing of God is for those who obey his word. Not just simply who hear it. I think that's in another story, isn't it, that he talked about. Maybe some of you have, remember that kid's song we used to do with our kids. The wise man built his house upon the rock. We do the hand motions, right? And it's straight out of a story from, that Jesus told. The wise man is he who hears and does what he hears. The foolish man who built his house on the sand, what happens? The rains came down, the floods came up. My kids always like that part. Splat, the house fell flat. The only difference was in their obedience. Not in their calledness, not in whether they were blessed by God, but in whether they chose to obey the commands of God. Were they willing to take God's word and learn it? And learn to love it. And say, my life can be based upon this. And what I read and what I understand, I'm going to live it out. I'm going to do it. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like that wise man who built his house in the rock. What is he saying? John 13, 15. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. The blessing comes through obedience. Okay, so now we get up to about where, where Abram was. He was called out. He was blessed. 
by God. He had followed God in obedience. And yet then he faced a trial. He faced, faced this time of uncertainty. And it, was, it was a time of testing of his faith. And that's exactly what we come into. We can walk in obedience. But God is going to allow those times of testing to come. Maybe it's a, a natural disaster. Maybe things are happening. We're, we're hearing about things happening in the West Coast. We hear about earthquakes. We heard about crazy weather patterns up in, in, in Illinois and Iowa that came across most intense hurricane season we've ever had. More hurricanes than since 2005, and they've had to go into a different alphabet. We hear about these things, and, and they cause in us a sense of uncertainty. And we begin to question things and saying, we're looking for what God, God, where are you? What should, how should we respond? And in those times, what is our response? Because I think some of us are a bit like Abram. That our, one of our first responses is to say, well, well, what's the government going to do about it? Is this going to qualify as a natural disaster? Is FEMA going to respond to my need because my insurance isn't going to cover my house when it floods? Am I going to be covered? Well, where's my stimulus check? Yeah. Yeah. All right, I'm just I'm all over, just stepping on toes and stepping in it. But this is what we see in God's word. This is what Abram did, and he he went out and his his saying, okay, well, I'm facing this. I'm going to go see what the government can do. Oh, and I even brought I knew I brought something. Man. My Uncle Sam. You know, you guys, it helps to have visual aids. So, you know, is that our hope? Is, is our, I love America. I'm thankful for the heritage we have. I'm thankful for what has been do, done and, and the blood that has been shed so we can have freedom. But is my hope, is my trust in my future in the government of this nation? That's one option. We know Abram, he kind of went there for it and looked at it I think there's a lot of people that are promoting this now it's a really great form of, of government it's called socialism my wife and I have been able to see the effects of it when people are living in it saying well this is great we're going to trust the government to take care of us and there's no more individual responsibility and you know what's left to the individual afterward nothing the blessing that God wanted to pour out upon them because of obedience is now gone. Because they have relinquished that trust to a government system. Alright, we'll move on. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That was a declaration by the psalmist in Psalm 20. He said, this is what I see going on around. And, and nations will rise up and make allies and make partnerships and make treaties. But he said, that's not where my trust is. My trust is in the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth. You know, and there's another thing that sometimes we trust in, and we see this in, in Tajikistan a lot, a bit like Abram, and he recognized that, that nepotism was rampant in Egypt. That if you had the right connection and the right family member, you would be taken care of. You know, and so he knew his wife was beautiful. Now, I'm sure I'm probably not any different than some of the other guys in this room that are married. I think my wife's the most beautiful woman in the world. You know, and we, we trust our wives and we look to them for partnership. Maybe your, your husband. Maybe you've got a family member, mom or dad. Let's set this over here. 
Hopefully it won't fall down. All right. We can look to family members. Maybe there's a family business and you're saying, well, you know what? I'm going to get in on my family business. Or, or you know what? My parents are going to help me out into college. They're going to help take care of me. They've got that, that college fund set up. No? Does this connect to where we, what we see in our culture? I'll let you decide that. But is there that sense of, well, you know what? If I've got the right connections, this is going to be okay. They'll take care of me. I think in the government, in our system, we, we call it cronyism. You know, it's, it's all about who you know, and you'll get that nice position. And, you know, when I got married, I was, I have to admit, I was a little bit intimidated because my wife had this famous name, you know, the Stamps family. And I thank God for what he's done and what he's continuing to do through the work of the Stamps family. Amen. Because the legacy is continuing to live on. And people are being reached with the word of God. That's what God is doing. And yet sometimes I can, well, you know, hey, you know, we're going to be all right. You know, I got the good one. I'm going to be okay. You know, we got this. We're going to, we'll have our funds in no time. Right? We can kind of go to that direction. Where is our trust in? I, I don't know how that fits in. Where you, but there is some of us who fit in this place where we're saying when we face a crisis, when we face uncertainty, that, you know, I, I, I know I've got the right person in that place. He, he yes. said, he'd, he's got my back. Amen. Who's got your back? Man? I don't know. In Matthew 3, 9, it says, And do not think you can say to yourselves, We, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Amen. Jesus was being really clear. Just because you're in the family, biologically, don't think you're in the family spiritually. If you think you've got it all worked out because you have this thing and you've got this thing set up and you've got all your ducks in a row and you've, you've really planned this out well, you're in, you're in the right place. That doesn't mean you're in. Are you in the kingdom of God? There's only one way to get in the kingdom of God. God has no grandchildren. Right. Right? We've heard that term before. I think it's pretty straightforward. We get in through faith. Maybe we face those times when there's health, when there's a crisis, and some of us say, you know, we want to be aware, we want to acknowledge that, but you know what? Maybe you're a little bit like Sarai and Abram, and you're saying, you know, hey, as long as it doesn't touch me. I've got my health. I brought my running shoes this morning. Now, I, I admit I'm not the, the most fit person, so I'm not trying to say I'm a great example, but been trying to go out and run with Pastor John and, and get healthy. But there are some of us who think, well, you know, as long as I'm staying healthy, as long as I do the right thing, as long as, man, I'm just really getting into it, aren't I? As long as I sanitize my hands every time. If I, if I get the word, the ma guys, I'm not trying to speak against a mass or six feet. That's not my point. My point is, where is our hope? Where is our trust? Is it in our ability to do the right thing so we guard our health? Is that where our trust is? Is that my hope? So, so please don't hear me the wrong way. My point today is not to try to condemn or, or get into the, the political fray of do this, don't, no. I'm here because we want to look at God's word and say, who does God want to direct us to when we face those times where we're not sure? And we're saying, God, I don't know what to do here in this situation. Do we turn to the government? 
We turn into family connections or those relationships. Or we turn into our, our personal health. Luke 12, verse 20, God speaks to that pretty clearly and says, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded for, from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Do we have any guarantees? Jesus is like, you can't even guarantee that a hair won't fall out of your head. And you're trusting in your own health? All right. Where else was Abram thinking about? Well, Abram had this really neat, poetic thing that was, that was pronounced over him. The establishment of, of something new. A, a new dynasty, a new legacy. Where, where God hadn't really spoken to mankind for generations, and now all of a sudden he, he hears God pronounce this, this blessing. And it's so nice to hear. And some of us, we're, we're very thankful for the establishment of this country, for the words that were written on the pages. And we've got a Declaration of Independence, and we've got a Constitution. And I in no way want to diminish or demean what was written. But is my hope in the fact that I have a bill of rights and therefore I have a right to these things? Do I deserve these things because it says so on a piece of paper? Somebody wrote down these really nice words and I've, I've made them my own and I, therefore I have a right. Abram felt like he had a right. He felt like he had a right to those good things. I'll, I'll be taken care of. They'll, they'll bless me. They'll give me things. Why? Because I know that God's already blessed me. He's pronounced that right over me. So, so I'm not going to lose it. I'm, I've got that right. Am I saying don't, don't take those rights? Am I saying don't take advantage of what we've got? Please, use your rights. We live in a country. We live here. We need to respond. Should you vote? Yes, go out and vote. Do you need to say, I need to be aware of, of the ability to, to meet together and have religious liberty? Yes, thank God for them. But is that where my hope is in? Is that what I'm fighting for? Am I saying, well, I'm not going to worry about that because I know I've got these rights? Because that sure seems like what we're taught in school. It seems like we're taught that, yes, you deserve these things. It's been written down on a paper, and therefore you should have it no matter what. Where is your hope today? All of us have, Ephesians 2, 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the desires, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Wait a minute. The Bible doesn't put it quite the same way. Romans 1, 32. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Wow. God's Word says something a little bit different than what we think about with our rights. Because God's saying, your right through your sinful nature leads to one thing. <laughs> he doesn't paint a pretty picture about life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. He says that through your sinful nature, you deserve death. Right. So if you are saying, my right, what I deserve, God is a just God and he will give it to you. 
But instead, he sent his son to give us a way out. And so we have this this moral dilemma that's presented to us. Just like Abram had to, to make a choice. Was he going to choose to live among the people? To live like them? To say, I know how people live. I know how things work. And so I'm going to do it the same way. It's okay to lie as long as I get ahead. I just want to look after myself because I want to watch my own back because nobody else is. I'm going to be more concerned about my personal benefit than what happens to the community. Because if we look at what Abram did and what happened in Egypt, we looked at and we say that Abram was concerned about his own personal benefit, but he brought about a communal curse. Because he was not doing the thing that God had called him to do. Because instead he had given that up and was living a lie and living in deceit. Instead it brought a curse on the very place that he should have brought a blessing. Have we given up our godly nature that God has called us out of the world to have that blessing that he has poured out upon us and said, we're going to surrender this so that we can live in this culture. So we can live among these people. So we can have the blessings of what has been poured out upon us to ourselves and our posterity. It's in the preamble to the Constitution. Am I willing to give up my faith in God so that I can enjoy those blessings? I'm not saying that's what they were trying to write about. But in this uncertainty of today, in the places and the crises that we find ourselves, what are we looking to? Yes. Where is our hope? Because we recognize that we are deserving of death, that we all live under the curse. And yet God sent his son. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. He's saying, I have made a way. I've called you out of that. I've taken, Christ became the curse for us. So that instead of living under the curse, instead of deserving death, we can now receive life. We can receive the promise that he has, that he said for Abraham, that he said for the apostles, that he said for his church. I have a blessing for you and it involves waiting on God. It involves receiving the Holy Spirit so that you can be my witnesses. So that there will be a great nation that is formed out of this. It's called the kingdom of God. So that there is a great name that will be lifted up. It is the name of Jesus Christ. And so that there is a godly nature that will be formed in each one of you through the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't come by holding on to something that we see around us. It comes by holding on to Christ. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2. And in Hebrews chapter 10, we see this amazing verse where he's speaking to those that know Christ. He says, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, he says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, this is what we have been given. He's saying that because you know, because Christ shed his blood, paid the price for your sin, you have access to the most holy place by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain. What we were once shut off from, what the people of Israel could never access, they could never get into the presence of God. It says that that curtain was opened, and we now have access into a new and living way. That is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, 
having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. We can get in. You can now get into the, to the family of God. If you want to trust in the government, trust in the government of God. If you want to be in a family, the one family you want to be in is God's family. If you want to know whose health, who can look after your health, it's God because He formed you. He created you. He knitted you together in His mother's womb. He can heal you. He walked on this earth purposely showing that He has power over all disease and over death itself because He rose from the dead. I think I can know who's going to take care of my health. He's given us the right. He's given us the ability to walk into the throne room of God, to walk into His presence. We have full assurance because we no longer have a guilty conscience. There's no reason why we'd step back in fear. But rather we can walk into God's presence. We can be part of his family. We can be hugged by God. Because of what Christ has done for us. Verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is not about, let's see if we can do this or take care of this. How do we reach people that are without hope? We have hope ourselves. Let us hold on to it unswervingly. When someone asks us how we're doing, holding on to Jesus. When we're faced by those uncertain times, who are we holding on to? Are we talking about our 401k? Are we, are we talking about that package? Are we talking about the doctors? That's today I'm talking about something that is eternal, that God is calling us to and He's saying, I've called you, each one of you, to be my representatives. I want to bless you so that where you go, there will be blessing. So that the people that are living in darkness, that have not experienced the good fullness of God's presence, can experience it through you. But if we are like Abram and we back down and instead we want to act like the culture that we're with, if we want to be deceitful or lying, if we're not willing to stand up, then there's no blessing for those around us. May we rather learn like Abram did, that we can learn the character of God, that there's a God who is the creator of heaven and earth that He is God Most High. We can have access and we can talk with Him. He speaks to us and He is our Lord. Because when we begin to trust in God's presence, when we begin to trust in God's character, we can trust in God. We know who He is and where we're going. If you haven't ever stepped into God's family, then today's that day. There's going to be some time after we close. And if you'd like to come for prayer, I'd encourage you. If you've never entered into God's family, if your trust is still in one of these other things and you've never crossed over and said, yeah, I want to be in God's family, today make that choice. If you're online, you can go on the website and and click on the top of the button that says, that's me. We want to connect with you. Don't let this day pass. The Bible is very clear. It says today is the day of salvation. We have no guarantees for tomorrow. What about us? those who have been called, those who have been chosen out and blessed, who are responding to God in obedience, then let us not say where our trust is maybe in something else. But may we make a declaration today. May we take a stand in the midst of our families, in the midst of our society, in the midst of our workplaces and schools and campuses, in the marketplace. May we say, I trust in God. Romans 4 Verse 5, however, those who 
the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. He's not saying you don't need to go out and work. He was talking about do we work to achieve our salvation? No. We trust in God. Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Overflow. Blessing to pour out of you because you're willing to stand and say, this is what I believe in. I'm going to stand on God's word. I know who he is. I know who, what I've trusted him with. That's what Paul says, right? 2 Timothy 1, Yet this is no cause for shame. Even through my suffering, even though people are calling me bad names, even though I have suffered in my society or because of my government, even though that, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard that what I have, that what I have trusted to him. I know he's taking me to his kingdom. All this other stuff, it's not going to matter. But whether I trusted in him. Abram became Abraham. We have this story that we've read and we see that he made that progression of faith so he can confess that he was no longer trusting in the things around him or in the world, but rather in God his Lord. And so we, we find him in the great hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8 says, by faith Abram, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his own inheritance, obeyed and went. Even though he did not know where he was going, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city whose foundations and whose architect and builder is God. That's what he was looking forward to. He, he made that realization. He realized that all these other things I can't trust in. In fact, when I trust in them, I miss out on the blessing that God has for me. And if I'm not willing to trust God, then the people that God has sent me to bless are going to miss out on the gospel through me. And this is the conclusion when we see it in just a few verses down it says all these jumping down to 14 but people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own if they had been thinking of the country they had left they would have had opportunity to return instead they were longing for a better country a heavenly one therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them I don't want God to be ashamed of me I want to know that he's preparing a city and that that's where I'm headed Thankful for the, the ministry team. We've got prayer partners as well. If you're one of those people that's saying, you know, I've never made the decision, maybe this is a good time where you could come up, talk to one of our prayer partners, and make that commitment today. It, I don't know who prayer partners are. If you guys are here, I'll invite you to come. Maybe there's someone else, and maybe you just want to make this commitment in your seat. Maybe you want to make it on the, on the couch where you're sitting at home. Maybe you really do want to have someone pray with you through one of these things. And today I want you to make a declaration right where you're sitting, right on that couch. And maybe you're saying, you know, I, I want to do that, but I, I, I need someone to pray with me. We've got some folks here that are willing to pray with you. To say, I'm not going to trust in one of these other things. 
I'm not going to put my trust in the government or what I hope I see or in some politician or, or in my connection or in my health or in what some document says my rights are. But I, I want to recommit my life to the God who spoke this word and this world into existence. And today, I can trust him. If that's you, I invite you, welcome you to come. Let's pray together. I want to pray over you. But my, my goal is not to rush, rush through this, but to rather to, to make a solemn moment. Just like the signing of the Constitution where it says we do ordain and consecrate. This. I want us to ordain and consecrate this moment. Would you just take a moment? Pray. Align your faith your trust, your hope with the God of eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for your word and that it's alive and that it's for us. It's not just a story that you had for somebody before. It wasn't just that you, you were going to do that for him and nobody else, but God, it's something that you set him as an example and saying that what you did for Abram and you changed him, you transformed him to become Abraham, that he was the father of us all who walked by faith and saying we're not going to trust in what we see. When we face uncertain times, we're not going to look to our left or to our right. We're not going to look to other things. But we're going to look to you, Jesus. And God, I want to pray your blessing over each one, whether here in person or watching online virtually. God, I pray your blessing that, God, as they make that commitment, to trust in you, that God, you would pour out your blessing on them. But that God, that that commitment is a decision to obey you tomorrow and the next day. From each, each day hereafter saying that, I'm not going to just go to church and see and raise my hand and say, this is yes, God, I want that. But then go out tomorrow and try to live like the world. But that I will make this decision today to say, God, have your way. I want to receive your blessing. Experience it so that the people around me can be blessed too, so they can receive the gospel and the good news and be welcomed into the kingdom of God. I pray your blessing to this congregation over each one who listens and hears.